If you are new to our congregation, you may not have endured a state of the church message. This is the week uh, I was called to be the seventh, uh, the sixth senior pastor here. I say seven for a reason. I followed Dr. Spear, Chavis, Vestal, Johnson, and Hannah, men who actually knew how to be a pastor and who left a very unique footprint. Kirk, can you light up the screens uh, in front of me? Do you have a way to do that? Um, so each year about this time, I do a state of the church message. And I'm reminded that everything the six of us have done was built on a dream of a young architectural student, Andy Smith. And if you don't know that story, call me and I'll get Andy and we'll go to Starbucks and have a long cup of coffee because it's quite a story. I try to give you each year a sense of where we have been, where we are and where we might be going, at least from my point of view. We will have our fall church conference tonight, and we will elect our leadership team and our nominating team and our missions team and our personnel team and our finance team, and we'll vote on our budget. We'll do all the hard things that we do in church tonight. <laughs> so today can either be a day that's just incredibly long and tedious or it can be a day when you sit back in wonder of all the things that God is doing at this little corner of the world. Here we are in 2022. COVID and all of its Greek designations are more or less in the past. Well, they're not really in the past. They're part of our new normal. Saw a picture of the breezeway that was by the former prayer garden and uh, I, I had almost forgotten what this place used to look like. I've almost forgotten the, that, that part of our past, the courtyard. And it, it made me think I can hardly remember what it was like before we finished Project Main Street. Because we're now a little over a year where we have occupied all of the spaces that have been renovated an amazing, amazing thing. I was overwhelmed with gratitude at all of the planning, the meetings, the dreaming that took place during that project. So as I watch all of the activity on Sunday morning, I am grateful that Project Main Street became a reality. I'm grateful that uh, it, it changed the way we operate here on this campus, and I'm grateful for that. If you weren't part of the changes, the campus had a, a radical $11 million overhaul between 2018 and 2021, and through the faithfulness of all the people who are here, we emerged from that project in a way that no church ever does debt-free. An amazing, amazing thing. Project Main Street reflects the hard work of almost 200 DBC volunteers who met, planned, dreamed, met, planned, dreamed, rinse, repeat. No one can migrate from one end of the campus now and, and be challenged with a set of steps. 
A ramp has been built. We finished another ramp to make sure that uh, children could safely evacuate from the lower level of this building. Security, signage, welcoming campus, overall a whole different environment. We've also caught up on a few other projects around the campus since we completed Main Street. We've replaced air conditioners. You're welcome. We replaced flooring in the children's area, patched and recoded roofs, replaced the 18-wheeler trailer that used to sit out back with a little nicer-looking storage building, replaced every lock in the church, installed fob entrances in the key exterior doors, fixed water issues from broken pipes to toilet mal-flushing. I had never heard that term, but now I have. We have uh, uh, addressed or are addressing water that's coming under the foundation of the nursery building. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. And maybe one of my favorite parts of Project Main Street was that we moved the prayer room. The prayer room used to be on the far southeast corner of the campus, and it looked a little bit like a storefront. The campus now in the very center of it has the prayer room, which is filled with intercessory ministry. I asked Esther to give me some numbers. I love numbers. In the past year, our intercessors have spent more than 500 hours in the prayer room, sent over 1,800 prayer grams, Faithfully prayed for the DeKalb and Dunwoody first responders. 22 Dunwoody police officers are on our prayer list and matched with somebody on the staff to remind them that we pray for them regularly. We've had the privilege of praying families through grief. We, as a pastoral staff, conducted 17 funerals here at this church over the past 12 months. And I so appreciate the care that Alan T. has uh, given to designing a process where we can help families in their grief. This past summer, we were able to resume pastoral visitation. Uh, That was one thing COVID took away from us. We couldn't go to hospitals or uh, assisted living spaces or in people's homes to visit them and pray with them. And we've been able to get back to that. Tonight, we'll consider our annual budget, but over the past 12 months, you have given over and above. Today is the last Sunday of our fiscal year. I I talked about that a little bit last week, and to date, we are well above budget for the seventh year in a row. The DBC Foundation is healthy and more mobile, thanks to the leadership of Lannis Barrett and others. We have had generous gifts to help with major initiatives to fund adoptions for DBC families, as well as seminary scholarships for men and women who have answered God's call to full-time ministry. Your generosity has allowed us to dedicate resources to our core mission, loving God, loving people, making disciples, and making a difference. In the past 12 months, we've seen 35 baptisms. Now, don't hear that as numbers. Those are all stories. Those are are, are people's lives. 
if you really want to be moved, hike up the stairs where the baptistry is. We started a tradition when we moved back into the sanctuary in March of 2021, and every single person who has been baptized since that date has signed their name on the sheetrock wall behind the baptistry. And, and I am stirred every time I walk up those stairs. Forty-nine people have joined us as members, tons and tons of guests in person and online. Our total resident membership is 1344, and if you add those who are inactive or now live somewhere else, our total membership is 2,084, and many of the people who have moved away join us online every single week. We have people online all over the world who watch us. We routinely get people from the European continent, some from Asia where it's in the middle of the night, uh, some from Canada. We have a guy in Florida. Uh, if you're watching, I appreciate that you started tithing, though I've never met you and probably never will. <laughs> It's an amazing thing, this online uh, environment. Every Sunday when I walk around and meet people that I haven't met before, I ask them if they've been here a while or is this their first time, and almost 100% of them say, I've been watching online for a while, but this is my first time in the building. Thank you, Jeremy. Ashley, Gary, the rest of you for an amazing live stream experience. You know I love numbers. Here we go again. Before COVID, 14% of our participation on Sunday morning was online, 14%. Since COVID, or this morning, about 34% of the people who are attending today are watching us online over the two services we're now streaming weddings and funerals for family members who are not able to be here. In the past 12 months, we've had 30,000 views and 14,000 hours of content consumed by people watching our online channels. 14,000 hours have been consumed live on demand the purpose of live streaming is not to make it convenient for you not to come to church the whole purpose when we started was so that you would never miss anything when you had to be away because we all know that we're better when we're together in the lobby on Sunday, I hear children laughing, senior adults catching up on their week, strollers, walkers, wheelchairs moving up and down that ramp, a few other projects that we're working on are completed or underway. Uh, this chapel is the, the next thing that will receive a major technological uh, renovation. We already have the pieces ordered for new lights, new sound, so that the, the clarity of what we're doing is updated from the 20 years ago that we installed all of it. Many things go on behind the scenes. Some are evident, some are not as evident. When we had our missions extravaganza a couple of weeks ago, the pitch... Uh, I was reminded anew of all of the things that we have our hands in. 
You got to see two mission partners in the morning service, Jesse Tobadoya from Liberia and Brian and Crystal Burt from Central Asia, and they told us of the things that God is doing in their space on a different continent because of the generosity and the, the, the prayer support that they receive from this church. Then in the evening, you got a chance to meet six more of our partners. You heard about the Atlanta Telugu Fellowship, Sustainable Liberia, Doraville Mission Initiatives, Taiwan, Church Builders in Honduras, Refugee Ministry in Clarkston, Nutrition Clean Water Partnerships in Guatemala. Mission trips are back. Participation with mission partners is back. Next week we will partner with Spring of Peace, the dental clinic that you saw the uh, video about before the service. So here on our campus we have a a lobby full of internationals. Every Monday night, we have something called uh, Conversation Club. And every place that has a place to sit, there is a pair of, uh, of, of people just conversing. One international, one Anglo, or English speaking. And, and they are, are, are speaking conversations just so that people can learn the language. Our ESOL, English as a Second language, but it's actually English as an other language. I was humbled and reminded that we Americans think of English as a second language, but for most of them, it's their third, fourth, fifth, or sixth. And so our, our numbers in that group were record uh, attendance. Grief share is as high as it's been. Our, num- our neighbors are hungry for fellowship, for connection. We're seeing new faces, new nationalities walking through our doors on Sunday mornings. Our students are re-engaging. I don't know if you knew it. They were particularly hard hit with COVID. You know, for us, it was a year or two. But a year or two is, is most of your middle school time. It's most of your high school time. And our students are now re-engaging with life, ministry. Don't ever underestimate these incredible young men and women. They are Dunwoody Baptist Church. They are missionaries in places we cannot go. They are hearing and understanding God's word for their lives. And some of them are, are, are understanding his call for their lives full time in the future. They're responding. 15 middle schoolers went to Jacksonville on a mission trip this year. In Guatemala, 14 students led 14 other students to decisions to trust Christ as Savior. 13 students were baptized this year. More than 40 on average gather for middle school night every Wednesday. Cook on that for a minute. 40 middle schoolers every Wednesday. It's been an amazing year of growth on Sunday mornings in kids' ministry. The Sound of Children is one of my favorite playlists. Many of you know that my office is uh, on the hallway right behind the chapel, and that's where carpool stages. And if I could record what I hear in the hall outside my office every single day, I would turn it into a ringtone. (laughs) It is the sound of delight, the sound of curiosity, An amazing thing 
VBS was incredible, 750 people, children, adults, adults acting like children were all praying, laughing, thinking about Jesus for four incredible days. Children walked away singing songs of scripture that we still use today on Sunday mornings. Adults and students had a renewed love for cheese grits, journey through Jerusalem during Holy Week and walk through Bethlehem during Christmas allowed families to experience Bible times. I'm exhausted just reading it. We dedicated babies, presented Bibles to first graders, gathered families for dinner and a movie, kids camp, new location, many new volunteers, over 170 children from six months to five years are in our weekday preschool. It's growing again. And I don't know if you know it, but uh, it's become more diverse in preschool as well. I asked for a list of countries that were represented because when I look outside my door, it looks like a very, very small version of the United Nations. We have children who have heritage in South Korea, Japan, India, Vietnam, Chile, Colombia, China, Taiwan in our weekday preschool. And we are now hosting a Christian school. We are in our second year of hosting the Dunwoody Christian School. 134 students in uh, kindergarten through uh, eighth grade. 91 families, 15 instructors, 27 of the families are DBC families. And I'm overjoyed that discipleship is now happening in spaces that were largely vacant during the week. Worship and arts ministry has been amazing. Best indicator of health that Robert was gone for a month and nobody noticed. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm away every July and people don't notice. Most impressive to me is the way that leaders just keep stepping up. Leaders continue to be part of the process development. Dunwoody School for the Arts taught over 100 children and adults, partnered with other ministries, kids choir, kids musical, creative arts camp, family skate day, sports and fitness ministries are reinventing themselves. Um, Kyle has done an exceptional job down there. This November, the gym floor will be refurnished, re, uh, re, refinished, sanded down and refinished, both because the finish on it is very old, but also because the, the way that we do sports is changing. The, the lines on the gym floor are obsolete, mostly because they don't accommodate pickleball. Over a 1,000 children were involved in the past 12 months in sports leagues and camps. New equipment, new layout, 1,500 members in the fitness center, and as of last week, a brand new sports director, Taylor Turnbow, joined our staff having played basketball at LSU and professionally overseas. Amazing what God is doing Enough from me. I would like you to hear perspective on how the church is doing through the eyes and mouth of one of our young leaders at DBC. Bill and Maggie Norman are foundational in our foundations class. And Bill is a disciple maker. He is the one who is leading the trip to Guatemala with uh, young men who are many taking their very first mission trip and they will be making a difference with our partner down there. Bill, come and share with us. 
you. If you decide to have an opinion or share some thoughts on the state of the church with Alan, you might find yourself up here, uh, you know, when you express those feelings to him. Not in a negative way, um, but I wanted to take you guys back to like five years ago. Uh, me and my wife had just moved to Dunwoody, and we had moved over from Augusta, Georgia, and we came into the church. I had started to have a lot of anxiety and stress build up in my life, and I thought that maybe if I changed my job, I got a new job in Dunwoody and came over here, that that would really help and everything would kind of calm. Um, but to my surprise, about a year after moving over here, the anxiety had not only gotten worse, it was almost debilitating. And I was sort of uh, at a crisis moment, I would call it. Um, I started to use Xanax and alcohol to just numb all the noise. Um, I started, me and my wife were separated, um, but couldn't get along with her. Honestly, I was in such a bad mental state, I couldn't even really care for my kids or think about them. Um, it was it was really, uh, I guess, a worst moment of my life. And it sort of culminated in a moment where um, I, was, I was at my job. I was drunk on a Monday morning. And um, I ended up cussing out my boss because he just didn't understand that my boss was the problem. My relationship manager at work was the problem. Uh, my wife was the problem. My kids were the problem. Everyone but me was the problem. And man, I, I can't tell you, but it was like God was in that room and, and I was sitting on the stairs of my house because I was the only one there alone and it's like God said, stop. Like, they don't have to change. You have to change. Um, and it was really a rock bottom moment for me. Um, six months we, that was a year we had been uh, in, in Dunwoody, but six months before that, we started coming to DBC. So all this is happening while we're at the church. And I, I truly believe that that's probably somebody sitting in the pew right now. You may be in the middle of this story. Um, but what happened for me at this church was um, I saw people who had this thing that I didn't. Um, we were in Sunday school, and Eric Nutzel, he's sitting right over here. He invited me to a Friday morning men's Bible study where for the first time in my life, I saw men who were open and honest and willing to share and say, you know what? I wasn't okay either. I'm not okay. Um, people came and watched our kids and we went to a movie night called War Room and it was like the script of me and my wife's life. It was like we were watching our very own story. Um, I can't tell how many times we ran into somebody at the sports facility or, you know, we had people talking to our kids about Jesus and then they'd come home and they'd be talking about God and I, I just couldn't even hear it because I'm like, I know I grew up in the church, I know all the answers, but for me, there was something still missing. And, and so I began to meet with Tom Frost on uh, Mondays and Fridays or Saturdays or Sundays. He would meet me whenever he wanted, and he just kept pointing me to Jesus. He just kept pointing up. And so uh, for me, um, it truly had to be, uh, I had to come to terms with the fact that even though I had all the head knowledge, I had never truly surrendered my life over to God. So in July of 2018, 
um, about four years ago, I truly, totally surrendered my life to God. And it wasn't one specific moment, but it was all these touch points of the church that really led to that decision. And so what, really what I'd like to talk to you all about this morning is just three pieces that stick out to me about, about the church and the state of the church and where we're going. Um, Galatians 2.20 here, it says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I can't help but think in a room this big that maybe there's someone who's still trusting and believing in themselves, not God. See, there's no medication that you could ever take. There's no prescription that you could be written for. There's no relationship that can be restored. There's nothing in this world that's ever going to be able to satisfy or truly fill your heart. Only God can do that. And so maybe you're sitting in this room today and somebody in this church still needs to surrender their life to Christ and stop living for yourself. I would invite you to do that. It's the only way that you get peace. It's the only way that now I can still say that I've got a wife again. Same wife. It's awesome. I've got kids again that I can actually trust and, and work with and point to Jesus. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you just need to surrender to what God could do in your life. And I see a lot of people in this church that are doing that. The second thing um, is an eternal perspective. Um, maybe one slide back. You know, when I think about this, this idea of eternal perspective, and I think back over the last year or two, um, I feel like I've heard a lot of churches are dying. Um, and really what I think that is, it's, it's a we or me attitude, right? What's in it for me at this church? What's in it for us? And you think about it, how many of you have, this is going to be a little bit weird, but how many of you have experiences with snow, snow or snowstorms? Show of hands. Okay, I have no experience. So y'all are in a better, seat, a better place than me. But what I've been told is in the Midwest and up north that when there's a big snowstorm coming, coming or there's going to be a whiteout, that people would tie, uh, farmers would tie a rope from their house to the barn. And I hope this is true. We'll see. And why would they do that? Because in the middle of a whiteout, you can lose your way. And so they would need to go feed their animals and feed the flocks, and they need to come back, but they didn't want to get lost in the snowstorm. And when I think about that idea, I think about that's, that's really what we're doing here at this church, right? We're the rope. We're not the house. God's the house. But what we're doing is we're holding the rope and we're just pointing people back to the house. We're saying, go back to Jesus. Hold that rope. And that's what, if we just keep doing that, I think that we're already doing that. That's, that's where the church is. And I look at this verse and it says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And I think about what Alan Jackson I think about what Kyle Roberts, what Alan Tolliver, what our staff has done for us over the last two years. They've helped us hold the rope. I don't know if you, anybody in this room was affected by COVID, but many churches did not survive it. And what I've seen Alan over here do is they've just 
told us, hold the rope. Keep looking at Jesus. They served us well. Can we give Alan a, a round of applause for just holding the church together? And the only way that they were able to stay faithful is because God gave them that strength. The last thing that I would say here is that we want to live lives that are full of faith. When I think about the future, this, uh, this verse sticks out so much to me because it was so hard when everything was broken and everything was bad in my life. It was so hard to think that maybe God could fix it and I couldn't. I didn't think my marriage could ever be good again. I didn't think that, you know, I could never drink again. I didn't think that any of that could happen. And so we look at Abraham, and he's, he's been promised this, um, this child that's coming, and he's struggling with it, right? Because he's in his 80s, and the kid is still hasn't come. And he says here, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. So who had the power? I don't have the power. And when I think about the future, where this church is going, it's not about what I think. It's not about what I think could do, happen or what anybody else does. We got to think about what could God do if we were full of faith? If you were to sit there this morning and just think in your pew, what would you do if you believed that the power of God was truly in you? What could God do through us as a church? Are you fully persuaded that God has the power? I want you to be fully persuaded this morning. So when I think about the state of the church, how do we measure how we're doing? I would say that it's life change. Are we surrendered? Do we have surrendered lives that look more like Jesus every day? I think that we do, and I pray that we will continue to. And so I appreciate y'all letting me share this morning. You can probably tell why I think the church is in pretty good shape. I'm incredibly grateful for the stories of forward motion. As you have heard, God has blessed us. We are healthy. We are energized, financially stable, best staff I've ever seen at a church. From the time I came as a pastor, I intended to prepare this great church for the next season, for the next leader, and the time has come to start that transition. Now, before you get your phone out and tweet, Alan's leaving, let me explain. The leadership team and I have been meeting for the last nine months. We've been reading through a book entitled Next, which talks about a better way to help a church migrate the change between one senior leader and the next. Pastors and staff have helped refine the plan, and I'm talking about transition, not resignation. Secession, not departure. We are simply beginning a process that's going to take a while. Secession means that we build in an intentional overlap between old and new, between old and new pastors in order to ensure that the forward motion towards God's plan and promises is not disrupted. The process might look something like this. One, the leadership team will ask the nominating team to begin to put together a pastor search team. I don't know how long that will take. 
Next step in the process, the nominating team will consider, interview, enlist, and vet possible team members. When the team is nominated, the church will meet in church conference probably sometime next spring. And they will vote on that pastor search team. And when approved by the church, and when they are ready, the pastor search team will begin to meet, begin to seek God as to the next senior pastor. Unlike past transitions, where the pastor announces his resignation and leaves, we are building in an intentional overlap between me and the next directional leader of this church. I'm not going anywhere. I'll continue to preach and lead the church while the search team does its work. I will be around. If I've promised to do your funeral, don't feel like you have to be in a hurry. (laughs) Not going anywhere. We've got a house here. We've got a life here. Even after a new senior pastor is named, I plan to overlap with him for a number of months until he learns the culture of DBC. The next senior pastor will be my pastor. As you can see, this process may take some time. I've already told you that I'm planning to preach Revelation in fall of 2023, and we already have Advent 2023 on the board as well. So the plans are in place. I want to continue to lead, to cast vision, to address problems, to enjoy the company of this incredible staff. But as I have prayed and searched Scripture, I know that it is time for a younger leader to step into this role. You just heard how confident we can be as to the leaders that God is raising up in this church. He will come under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to advance the mission of DBC into the remainder of this decade and hopefully beyond. But until he comes, my foot is on the gas pedal. The transition of leadership in the Scripture has been an inspiration to me. I have studied a great deal the transition between Moses and Joshua and then Joshua to the judges. And I would make some observations. Leadership is always a temporary assignment. It's always a temporary assignment. It's never meant to be otherwise. Leaders do not ultimately own the teams, the ministries, the organizations they lead. They are simply stewards of what God has given us, what He's entrusted to our care. For a season, wise leaders embrace the temporal reality of leading and they prepare the ministry for the future. The assignment is fleeting and so developing others is essential. Moses understood the temporary nature of leadership. This is sort of starting from the end and working our way to the beginning But as Joshua was in charge of the people of Israel about to cross into the land of promise that they were given, he said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The future is bright if we consecrate ourselves to the Lord and know that he will do wonders among us. If you back up a little bit in the scripture, we see throughout Exodus, some in Leviticus, certainly in Numbers, and a whole lot in Deuteronomy, that Joshua was increasingly trained to be the next leader of Israel. He was described as Moses' assistant. 
In Exodus chapter 17, there is a battle going on against the Amalekites, and Joshua is the field general for Moses. Matter of fact, in that passage of Scripture, we we see this principle at work when when Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law, says, what is it you're doing? He said, I judge the people all day, sun up to sundown, I judge the people. And his father-in-law said, what you're you're doing is not good. You're going to wear yourself out, you're going to wear your people out, so choose for yourself captains of hundreds and fifties and tens. Let them settle the minor disputes. You stay in charge of the vision. And that's what Moses did. He sent Joshua into the promised land to spy it out. He gave Joshua responsibility throughout the Scripture. We see it described in Numbers. And so in Joshua chapter 1, when it's finally time for Joshua to take the reins, Moses is gone. Joshua has stepped into this role of leadership. And the Scripture tells us, That the people are to consecrate themselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I think Joshua learned some important lessons that day. I think he learned in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the ministry is God's and not any one person. I think he learned that God will never fail or leave. I think he learned that God enables us to build upon the past. I I could rehearse the contributions of each of the six pastors before me and do it just with great gratitude of the shoulders that I stand on. I think that he learned that you will find your promises and your instructions in God's Word And I think you will learn that success is attention to the details. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. There's a really sharp contrast between the transition between Moses and Joshua and Joshua and the next season. Joshua's final words... At the end of the book of Joshua, we're, we're all familiar with him. He said, uh, choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But what we never see in Joshua is him pouring into a younger leader. What we never see in the book of Joshua, is him calling someone alongside of him like Moses did with him. It's just not there. Maybe it happened. We just don't know about it. But at the very end of Joshua, the scripture says, when Joshua and all the elders who were his contemporaries, when they died, when they passed from the scene, the time of the judges began. And the very end of Judges, the spiritual and leadership climate of Israel is described as this. There was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What's the difference? Hopefully that's what Dunwoody Baptist Church will embark on starting now. That the transition between me and the next senior leader will be more like Moses and Joshua than like Joshua and the Judges. Because we have young leaders, we have healthy systems, we have lots of things in place, and you're a big part of that. So what I pray for the future of this church 
is that we consecrate ourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among us. Now, if you're watching this or listening to us, it probably didn't sound much like a church service. It probably sounded like a business report. But what I hope you saw in all of the things that have happened in the church, Bill's testimony, the promise of a bright future, is that God is in control. And that when we yield our lives to the presence and power of Jesus Christ, the future is bright. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for this day. We are grateful that you have spoken among us. You've given us incredible story through Bill's testimony. That you allow us to know you, to love you, to be loved by you. That you call us to this, this passionate desire to become more like Jesus. And to see transformation happen in our homes, our church, our community, and our world. Because as Bill said, we, we've stopped trying to live for ourselves. And we have started living for you and your purposes to love God, love people, make disciples, make a difference. God, as we go forward in this church, we know that your hand is on this little corner. Always has been. It is now. It always will be as we consecrate ourselves to you, trusting that tomorrow you will do wonders among us. Guide us as we leave. Guide us as we study that we would honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.